Welcome back, everybody, to our Turning Point series, Life in Transition. I'm super pumped to be able to preach the word to you today in a time where it is so, so greatly needed. Looking at what the Bible has to say about what's going on. Specifically today, we're going to talk about how to respond in a crisis. And we are absolutely in a transition. Nobody is exempt from this transition that's going on. People are going, what is going on with the future? I don't know what the future holds. What is even tomorrow look like? And how am I going to get through today? These are questions where so many different voices are offering their opinion. And a lot of them are contradicting each other, even though they're so-called experts. And we're just getting bombarded with all of this information. And we really need to look at something that is solid, that has some, some history behind it, and maybe even some experience, which is why we're going into the book of Exodus. Because in the book of Exodus, we see that nation of Israel is also going through this intense crisis. And we want to see what kind of lessons can we learn from Israel's crisis as we go through our own global crisis today. So we're going to be in the book of Exodus chapter 15. And you may remember last week, Pastor Darren was in chapter 14, and we see God just do these massive miracles on behalf of the Israelites, right? The parting of the sea, just these huge, huge things that have been talked about for generations. And as we study the text, we see that in times of crisis, God always comes through. Every time, all the time. He always comes through. And before every major event where God is moving, like he is in, in the book of Exodus, and like he is, I believe, today, we can expect two things to happen, which we're going to see as we dive into the text. Two things we can expect to happen during this crisis. And so real quick, just a summary of what's been going on, in case you missed last week. We have the nation of Israel, the whole nation, has been enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. People that are just abused, treated terribly, less than human, to use, just use them to build buildings and, and just take advantage of them for 430 years. You realize that's almost twice as long as the United States has even existed. They were in slavery that long, almost a half a millennia. And they were calling out on God, saying, God, deliver us. We need, this is not how it's supposed to be. We want to be a free people. And we know God answers their prayer for deliverance with these huge miracles, these huge signs and wonders and crazy things with plagues and all these things. And overnight, all of a sudden, over a million people stand up and are set free from slavery and walk out. Not only are they set free, they are now on the way to the promised land. The, the land that has been prophesied that they will inherit. It's the land that flows with milk and honey. This is a place where they will thrive. And it's finally happening. After all these hundreds and hundreds of years, it's finally happening. But all of a sudden, they get to the Red Sea and Pharaoh changes his mind and sends in an army to attack them. And that brings us to the very first thing that we can expect our first expectation before every major event where God is moving, we can expect that an attack will come. In a time of crisis, when God is about to break through, you're going to the promised land, an attack will come. Did you know that there is an enemy out there that hates you? He is against you. And if you haven't experienced it already, an attack is coming. 
And so this is not to scare you, but to simply make you aware of what's going on. An attack is on its way. And so if you ask yourself right now, where are you vulnerable to attack? Let's go through that. Maybe there's some places we need to be aware of. Where are some vulnerabilities in our life? For a lot of us, it could be online. We have a lot of extra time on our hands and a lot of us are online watching something maybe that we shouldn't be watching, opening ourselves up to temptations that are out there. And the enemy is right there saying, there's a vulnerability, I'm gonna attack right there. Maybe for some of us, it could be with our family that we're just not used to spending that much time with together. And so we're just kind of like, we're just together all the time. We're just kind of at each other's necks and there's a vulnerability there. There's an attack that's coming. Maybe it could be with binge watching the news that just wants to fill you with fear and with negativity. And when you're consuming that much junk, man, you are vulnerable to an attack with all of that fear. The attack will come in your greatest area of vulnerability. So be ready. Be ready. And so here we see Israel locked up right against the Red Sea and the army is about ready to attack them. Let's see how they respond in this moment of crisis. Exodus 14, 12, they say to Moses, we told you to leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. And this is just a moment where we take a, like a little break and say, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. When faced with an attack, they literally thought that being slaves would be better than following God's plan. Now, before you sympathize with them and be like, well, yeah, there's an army about to attack them. They're probably scared. Remember that God has just shown miraculous answers to prayer and literally delivered them into freedom. It wasn't too long ago that he was turning the whole Nile River into blood. He sent the angel of death and the firstborn of all of the Egyptian sons, they died. God, he delivered them into freedom. And as soon as there is a hint of opposition, they're like, I'd rather be a slave. I'm out, I'd rather be a slave, take me away. Which brings us to the second thing that we can expect. Before every major event, when God is moving, we can expect to be faced with a choice. You have this choice today, and the choice is to complain or to praise. To complain or to praise. And in this moment, the Israelites complained greatly. They forgot all of God's goodness and just whined. But as we know the story, God actually still comes through anyways because he's awesome. And we see God open the sea. He just blows through the, the breath of his nostrils. He opens the sea, puts a pillar of fire up to block the army from attacking. And they just walk through. Uh, over a million people just walk through on dry ground through the Red Sea. And they get to the other side totally safe. And the pillar of fire is, is removed. And another weird thing that happens, you'd think that if you were in that army at that moment, you'd be like, wow, that was really crazy, supernatural, that huge fire thing. Maybe we should stop. But they're like, nope, let's go after them. Let's go into this open sea, not realizing that something way bigger is actually on the side of the Israelites. And of course, God's like, great, I got them right where I want them. And he closes the sea on them and they all drown. Now, 
Remember, first Israel complained. But let's see how they respond in this moment. We're going to go to chapter 15, verse 1. And it says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Now before I read it, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's a little bit long. You can read it yourself. But just know that this is a worship song, a praise song that's probably different than something you're used to. So I just want to read a little bit of it so you can get the tone of it. You just imagine, they just crossed the sea and watched it close in on the entire army and they sing this song to the Lord. They say, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army is hurled into the sea. The finest of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters gushed over them. They sank to the bottom like a stone in your face. What do you got now? Verse 6, your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, smashes the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow those who rise against you. You unleash your blazing fury. It consumes them like straw. And on and on it goes. You can just see this, this whole nation standing on the shore of the Red Sea just like pumped up. Like, come on. If God is for us, who can be against us? This is not a praise song, a worship song that's very dignified and just... La, la, la. No, man, this is like victory. Man, we just escaped death and God did a miracle. Hallelujah. There's nothing like our God, they said. So they responded with praise. And church, this is how we are to respond in times of crisis. Praise. So they had they'd really experienced both sides. They had this temptation. We can either complain or praise. First time they chose wrong, they complained. Second time they chose right and they praised and it was awesome. And off they went to go to the promised land. Now here's the question for us. As they're on their way, after all of this, did they continue to make the right choice? Did they continue to praise? Unfortunately, the answer is no. And because of that, they spent 40 years wandering around in the desert, complaining, whining, and disobeying God. And ultimately, this is what is so sad, ultimately they missed out on the promised land. Did you know that? That the entire oldest generation of Israelites, except for two guys, all missed out on the opportunity to go to the promised land. They all died before God was like, okay, now everybody else can go because they whined and complained. You know why God took that much time? Because he wanted to teach them some things before they entered the promised land so that they could mature, so they could grow up. Think about it. All they knew for 430 years was slavery. And he didn't want them to act like slaves when they got there, right? They just, it's it, almost in their blood, like generation after generation, we're just slaves. And so we think like slaves, we dream like slaves, we behave like slaves. And God's like, I don't want you to get to the promised land and act like a slave. I want you to act like a ch child of the king. I want you to own it, man. I want you to, to do well when you get there. So there were some lessons that needed to be learned, some disciplines that needed to happen some pruning that needed to happen. 
This is kind of like when you get a new car and your five-year-old son's like, Daddy, can I drive it? You do not give the five-year-old your keys. That kid needs to learn some disciplines and needs to spend some time growing up. Needs to take some tests, right, and prove that you can make some wise decisions and show some safe behavior before you ever give him a key, even a beater car, let alone your new car. And that's just being a good father. And that's what God is doing here for the Israelites. Saying, I love, we're on our way. Some stuff you need to do, some, some lessons you need to learn. And they just complained and whined. And so we have to look at ourselves now, today, how are we going to respond with this crisis, this COVID craziness that has just overtaken the world? You know, we may not be able to control our circumstances. This is way bigger than any of us, but we can control how we respond. And so I think it really needs to start with a perspective change where it's really easy to just kind of walk around with your head hang low. And it's just like, man, I, there's just no hope. It just keeps getting worse and everything keeps getting closed and canceled. And I don't even know what to do. And oh, I'm just so, I'm just so negative. Now, instead, maybe we could have an approach that even though it's still hard, isn't it kind of awesome that we're living in a time right now where history is literally being made every day and that in the future, there are going to be people who make movies about this. There are going to be people that write books about this. Our grandkids and our great-grandkids, someday they're going to be like, man, Grandpa, 2020, there's some stuff that went down. What was that like? How did you respond? Teach me, Grandpa. And we, people are going to learn from how you and I respond today. Now, I don't think that God caused this, but I do know for sure that he has lessons for us to learn. And I know for sure that he always has a plan to turn it around for good. Right? There's a battle going on between good and evil. And we know God, our God always comes through. Think about maybe the fact that there's, there's something on the other side of this crisis that God is like, hey man, I got something so good for you. I can't show you what it is yet because I need you to learn some lessons. I need you to mature a little bit so it doesn't get messed up when you get there. That could be what's going on in your life. I want to read Psalm 81, verse 10. This is such a good scripture. Pastor Darren brought it up a couple weeks ago, and it is amazing. Psalm 81, verse 10. <clears throat> For it was I, the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it with good things. Open your mouth wide. I'll fill it with good things. Now remember, an entire generation of Israelites did not go into the promised land because they refused to learn what God was trying to teach them. They were complaining. And here's the thing about complaining. When we are busy complaining, this is what our mouth is doing. Our mouth is not able to receive the blessing that God wants to pour in. Open your mouth wide and I'll pour good things into it. That's why it's so dangerous to fall into this trap of complaining. There's a lot at stake. So let's talk about some of these things that, that we will be tempted to complain about. Let's just get real. Let's get practical. Many of us already are facing the temptation to complain about how everyone else is responding, how everyone else is acting. Right? Some of us are just, I'm just so mad. I just can't believe people aren't wearing their masks. I'm 
It just drives me crazy. I go to the store and people aren't wearing their masks. I come home, I'm mad, I'm just mad. And then you just turn around and, and somebody else is like, I just can't, I'm so frustrated that people, so many people are wearing their masks. I don't get it. They're wearing their mask in their car. It doesn't make any sense, right? And it's just, I'm just overcome with all of this frustration and just complain, complain, complain. Or some people are, are just complaining about there, there are not enough restrictions. And other people are like, there are too many restrictions. Where's my freedom? Some people are like, shut everything down. And other people are like, open everything up. And we fight and we get on social media and, and it just consumes us. Other, other things that we are tempted to complain about are some things at home. I know, I'm pretty sure there's probably some ladies out there, some wives, who are just like, man, I'm just so, I'm so annoyed that my husband is around all the time. Okay, I'm not used to this. But I can just imagine God sitting up in heaven going, weren't you, weren't you just praying about him that he wouldn't be so consumed with his work and so focused on work and pay attention to you more? Wasn't that you? Why are you complaining about him being around? Or maybe some of us are tempted to complain about, you know, I just, I don't have any personal space anymore because my kids are just, they're just climbing on me and daddy play with me. Daddy, can you play with me now? Can you play with me now? Can you play with me now? So annoying. But God's like, weren't you just praying about, you know, how you, you would really wish you could reconnect with your kids? Because they're getting older now and they don't think you're the coolest thing in the world anymore and you just have that longing to connect with your kids. Should you really be complaining about that? Or maybe there's a husband out there that would, that's kind of like, ah, I'm home like all the time now and I wish my wife would just leave me alone. But weren't you just praying and hoping and asking God that, that she wasn't so busy too? and acting like you don't even exist. And here you have this golden opportunity. Instead of complaining about it, do something about it. Praise God about it. Take advantage. You know, the church is not exempt from this either. The church, we have the temptation to complain about a lot of things as well. I, as a pastor, I've been in ministry for a long time, a lot of different churches, and it, there's so many of the uh, complaints are the same. It almost gets funny sometimes because they're so like, two-faced in a way. For instance, like sometimes people will come up to me and just be like, I'm just so mad. That just seems like the church, all it talks about is money. Money, 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 money. And I'm just so mad about it. And then I literally turn around and talk to somebody else. They're like, I just need to tell you, I'm really frustrated because I don't think the church talks enough about money. Or somebody will say, you know, the church is not a building. It's not these four walls. It's not a building. It's all about the people. But then like a couple weeks later, they'll just be like, I just need to tell you, I need to complain because the building is too cold today. And if it's going to be like this, I don't think I can come to church here anymore. Meanwhile, God, God is trying to pour a blessing into our mouths, but we're too busy complaining. And so we miss it. It spills out everywhere. God's like, come on. I have a funny, funny story about I went to visit my cousin who lives in another town. This was years back. And he attends, he's a Christian and he attends a, a church that's more denominational, that's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. They protect, practice more of a liturgical style, a little bit different than the way that we do it. And so we were just catching up and he said, so, hey, Matt, how's the church doing? And I said, oh, well, it's, it's going good. Yeah, God's doing great things. And 
I'm excited about that, and it's really cool because I, I really believe God wants to do even bigger things and greater things, but sometimes, if I'm honest, I get, it's a little frustrating because I feel like every time God gives us a glimpse of where he wants to take us, we kind of keep hitting this wall where uh, some people, like, they just always complain about, we used to do it like this 30 years ago, and now you're changing it, and I don't like that. And then we're like, well, okay, but, and God's like, let's go here. And well, we used to do it like this 30 years ago. I, I don't like this. I don't like how we're changing it. And my cousin just laughed. <laughs> He's like, you know, that's funny, Matt, because in my church, we don't argue about how we did things 30 years ago. We're still arguing about how they did it in the 1600s. And I was like, dang, <laughs> that sucks. Uh, at first, it made me feel a little bit better, but then I'm like, man, that is, that is so sad because we, we are just like the Israelites. We have this inclination to just complain and to argue, right? Israel calls on God for deliverance. God delivers them, and then they're like, I'd rather be in Egypt. And we are so much like them in so many ways when we fall into this complaining trap. And so church, as we move forward through this crisis together, we will absolutely face an attack. And we will absolutely face a choice to complain or to praise God. I'll just be honest with you, worshiping in my living room to a Facebook live stream, just like you're doing right now, has been a huge adjustment for my family. And it, it's almost like clockwork that right before 9.15 when the service goes live, one of my kids is going to start crying or one of them is going to get hurt because he's playing too rough and just, everything just kind of explodes in the house. Or my wife and I are like extra agitated at each other right before church starts. And it's almost like the enemy is just poking and prodding and seeing like, hmm, where are some weak spots? We can get Matt, we can get his kids, we can get his wife. And he just doesn't want us to worship. And even though I'm the one here preaching this to you today, Doing church this way, like we're doing it right now, is new to me too. And I'll be honest, I was naive to the fact that these types of attacks would come to stop us from worshiping together in my living room on Sunday morning. I'm just not used to it. I'm used to attacks coming in this room, and so I'm not used to it. My guard was down. Church, we need to get our guard up, right? We need to, sometimes the, a good worship posture is kind of like this, right? Come on, if God is for us, who could be against us because an attack is coming? It's not always this, you know, it's not always this, and it's not always, you know, sometimes you got to get in the, in the fight a little bit because if you're just standing here, boom, 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 you need to get your guard up. That's what the enemy's doing, so come on, let's fight. And one more thing about complaints. Not, not all complaints are bad. As a matter of fact, there are many good suggestions that have been made over the years that make us better at doing church. And those are great, and we're grateful for those. But I, please just be aware that because of this crisis that we're in, there, unfortunately, there are many things about how we do church that will never be the same again. I don't know exactly what they are. I just know they're coming. And things are changing now, it's okay to grieve some of those things, but we also need to trust God and trust that he always has a better plan in place to pour good things into our mouth. That's just what he promises. That's who he is. And you know, 
What would be even more sad than losing some of the old ways of doing church or whatever, how we operate as a society? And those are sad. And I, there are things I miss being together. I, I, I do miss those things. But what would be even more sad than losing those things is missing out on what God wants to do next. We don't want to be like the Israelites, right? Like they died, you guys. They died before they got to go into the promised land. All of that, all of these massive miracles, pillars of fire, clouds that protected them by day, uh, frogs, plagues of frogs, and, and the angel of death, and then the sea opens. And I mean, how can you possibly deny that God is for you? And he wants good things for you. Why wouldn't you just obey? We don't want to be like that. We don't want to miss out on the promised land. We want to live in it. Amen. We want to see a huge harvest come from this crisis of lost people getting saved, of more people more often saying yes to God. I know God wants to do that. That is his will. And he always comes through in a crisis. And while it is super hard and the future changes, may be difficult to adjust to. They already are. This is awkward. This is weird, right? We're trying to adjust and it's hard. I want to challenge you, church, to respond with praise and not complaining. And when the attacks come, just like Moses said, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord that he will bring you today. Church, we need to put our trust in God. And so let's do that now. Let's put it into practice. Anna's going to come and lead us in a declaration of praise for what we cannot see now, but what we know is coming. We know victory is coming, and we know the enemy is attacking, and no weapon formed against us shall prosper. When we look to God and we declare that he is our victory. And so let's praise him together. I want to pray. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are Yahweh. You are the great warrior and there's nobody like you. And God, this is no big deal. You are so far above all of these things, these, this crisis that we're in, this pandemic, the sickness, the fear. You are the king above it all. And so we just declare that you're in charge of our lives, of our emotions, and even our tongues. And we want to praise you and open our mouths wide so that you can fill it with good things. So come, Jesus. Come, teach us lessons. If we need to be disciplined, discipline us. We, we want to follow you even in that, in those hard things. And so, God, we look to you now as the victory that's coming. In Jesus' name, can everybody at home say amen? Amen. Come on, let's praise together.